0: To learn your cliches, you're gonna have to study them, you're gonna have to know them.
1: Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and you know you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word
0: team, and this is a team effort. Oh man, you just gotta play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right, play ball. Hiya, sports movie men, women, and children, and thank you from first to home for downloading the ninth installment of Scoring at the Movies. We gaze back at sports pictures from decades ago, and yep, we spoil those decades-old sporting flicks. I'm the tiger-blooded convict who forgets about the curveball and gives him the heater, Ryan Ellis. And here's the guy who sometimes plays like Mays, but really doesn't run like Hayes, Chris DiGregorio. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Ryan.
1: I might not run like Hayes, but I hope
0: you give me credit for
1: beating it out like uh, Berenger did in the climactic inning there.
0: You might be faster than him. I don't think you are. Not you really. No, I,
1: I've got knees that are very similar to Beringer's in that movie. Yeah, always happy to be back, especially for this last recording in Casa de Ellis here. But Old okay. Casa
0: de Ellis, yeah. Old
1: Casa de Ellis. i got to tell you, I've got one bone to pick. I really did not appreciate the fact that when I showed up today, you threatened me by saying, you know, Chris, if you keep popping your peas into the microphone, you're going to have to get down and give me 20 push-ups. And then to top it off, when I tried to show you my contract to demonstrate that I don't have to do that, Ryan, that we agreed to certain things here, and you just dropped trowel and pissed all over
0: it. I had to go. Well, I mean, and you gotta go. I, you gotta I mean
1: go. I expect the piddly size of your bladder, but you could have really just you
0: know <laughs> expressed yourself a little more clearly and a little bit nicer. Apparently the T V version of this movie, and I don't know how there is one because of all the swearing. And in the T V version, Lou Brown blows his nose into the contract. Which is kinda good too. Does he really? That's what I was reading. Either one of them, pissing or blowing your nose. I remember
1: the pissing of it. The like, agent would have
0: he... a real gripe. and they would be in some serious trouble. Well, you'd have to try to read the fine print
1: on that thing first, right? Which is not going to be easy to do. Presumably the ink's going to run. They use a lot of carbon (laughs) paper back in the 80s. Nobody makes copies. You mentioned the swearing. I was kind of shocked by this. I remember watching this movie in the 80s, so I was, what, like six, seven, eight, nine years old when this would have come out. I don't remember the the, con-stop, wow. Non-stop F-bomb fest. Maybe uh, you saw a TV
0: version then. Maybe I did, but I don't see how I would have at that age. And some of the more memorable lines are big-time swears. Like the one that Behringer has with Corbett Burson. If you ever tank a play like that again, I'm going to rip your nuts Nuts off. Stuff it on your fucking throat. (laughs) And then the other line I love he has is sometime later on when he says something like with the Rachel thing that she wants the team to lose. Yeah. There's only one thing left to do. And it's actually Roger that says what? Win the whole fucking, fucking thing. thing. Yeah. So I bet the TV version you just easily take out the fucks. Well, I don't know how you do that thread about stuffing your neck down your throat.
1: Half of the dialogue from the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of the movie is fuck, 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 mm-hmm. fuck the whole time. So Realistic fun. for athletes. It is, but it would have been really hard to tone down to a PG rating. Yeah. I have very vivid memories of that full-size cardboard cutout okay. of the owner and the peeling away the clothing one by one mm-hmm. for each win. Young Chris
0: liked that a lot. I bet you did. Well, she was a showgirl, so it's easy to have that picture. That really could have been her.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could have been. She looked pretty good there, right? (laughs) It looked looked all right.
0: Chris says, Jock is growing. We tap it. (laughs) Sexual well, harassment. <laughs> she does that. She should be in serious right, trouble right now. Let there. me
1: show you the section of my contract, Ryan, where it says that you're not allowed to tap my jock strap. <laughs> or pat- put your pat- pants back on. Put, put, okay, pat a guy's ass yeah.
0: as well. Serrano, <laughs> I think she does that too. By the way, we've gone to the podcast a little ways here, but I want to do some white men can't jump, runs, hits, and errors. White men cannot jump. I should have called it that more last less. Runs, week, hits, and errors.
1: So this would be the white men can't jump. Alley oops. Uh, slam dunks.
0: And Bricks Turnovers Or Bricks Okay there you go Bricks That's better yes So a few things I forgot the fourth sport Wesley Snipes played In his movie career He was a boxer In Undisputed I like that movie quite a bit Walter Hill directed that
1: What was the Basketball and baseball
0: Football and Wildcats With Woody Harrelson Right Yeah. yeah, That was when they both Were getting going That was maybe the debut For both One of the first for both and for the record, Wesley also played a baseball player in The Fan, in addition yep. to Major League. Which
1: is a movie I think is a little bit underrated, frankly. Robert De Niro plays
0: a psycho, well, I guess kind of the taxi driver character who's obsessing about yeah. a baseball player and not a prostitute. Also, you mentioned that Snipes was born in New York. He was born in Orlando, but he grew up in the Bronx. So I guess you're basically right about that. Did I say born, he grew up in
1: New York? Yeah, I oh, am okay.
0: pretty certain of it. I just looked it up. Also, also, Jordan's Bulls won the first NBA title in June 1991. <laughs> we were talking about how he wasn't, well, I said he wasn't a star of that magnitude yet. He was as a player, but not as a winner. So he was already becoming a living legend and a champion because he had his first title. Well, they had their first title, the Bulls.
1: But that would have been contemporaneous to the filming of White Man can Jones, right? Around the same time. because so he released was in 92? Ma- yes. So filmed during 91. Their second
0: championship year was when the movie came out.
1: Right, but during the filming of the movie, it would have been right during probably the regular season.
0: No, maybe. I didn't look it up. I should have looked it up. But it wasn't around the time that the season was over. So anyway, yeah, he was a champion. And we didn't even mention Kadeem Hardison's name. And we should have because he's funny and he's a big contributor to the Yo Mama jokes. Who is Kadeem Hardison? He's the guy from A Different World. I don't remember his name in the movie now. I should have looked it up. But he's the guy, Yo Mama, so whatever, whatever. He's the teammate for Wesley Snipes in the very first time we see those guys.
1: He was the ghost for a lot of the Yo Mama jokes that were thrown. He might throw have been right yeah, early on. But he was
0: definitely saying a lot of them too. Yeah, okay. And we see him during the Brotherhood tournament. I don't know if we see him other than that, but we see him a few times early on, and he's pretty funny. We should have mentioned it. We didn't even say his name. So anyway, uh, well, all right, I'll look it up. Look oh up no, so, he's skinny dude.
1: He's the tall lanky. Sk- okay, I, don't da, 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 I got there. I got there.
0: His name was Junior.
1: Okay, Junior. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was also in the scene where Woody and Rosie Perez confront. What's his nuts there? Sydney. Sydney, yeah, about playing Woody for all his money and stuff like that. And Papa
0: James, that scene. It was Junior and, and the one other dude who was like polishing Robert. a gun on the yeah. couch and Junior was just chilling.
1: Okay.
0: All right, Major League, back to that. It was released right. by Paramount on April 7th, 1989. Very smart, right around the yeah. beginning of the baseball season. April 7th is a great day, Ryan, and I would expect great things of it. Not so. that our day in 1989's history. Yeah. It was an okay success and it earned just a little bit less than Star Trek V. The final frontier, the one with God. And less, by the way, than Field of Dreams, which made about $15 million more, maybe $14 million more. I didn't think Field of Dreams was a bigger hit than this, but it was.
1: Star Trek V, a dark day in nerddom everywhere. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, the nutshell for Major League. Walk-On scores decisive run for Cleveland Redacteds. (laughs) Cleveland (laughs) Redacted. The modern controversy, you can't say Indians. Some people won't. Jerry Howarth, the Blue Jays announcer, won't even say the Cleveland Indians anymore. It just says a Cleveland ball team or just Cleveland whatever. Really? I can understand you don't want to say Chief Wahoo or something. There's a lot of references to Natives and, well, Indians in this movie, of course. Yeah, I was a little
1: shocked, to be honest. I mean, it really speaks to the changes in society generally, at least in Canada. I honestly don't know how this is perceived in the States. I know there's a big Redskins
0: controversy of a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of simmered down. I haven't seen many stories about it. surprised because something's like Me Too has not gone away. Black Lives Matter hasn't gone away. But then no, the but Redskins controversy did.
1: If you're going to talk about marginalized groups in the U.S., I think the indigenous population is the least outspoken of any oppressed peoples in that country. Regardless of whether you're watching it from Canada or the U.S., I think you're taken aback a little bit by some of the language, right? Was it Bob Eucher? Who's the announcer? That's Bob Eucher. Yeah. Harry Doyle. He's one of my favorites of any sports movie. He steals the movie. Full, full stop. But, you know, he's doing things like, we'll talk in the TP afterwards. We're gonna teepee pa- talk, yeah. Teepee talk. We're going to powwow later. Mm-hmm. and There's so many just crazy... References of this. And I
0: don't think, in this movie at least, that any of those things are meant to be offensive to natives, no, but obviously they are. It's a so if they are offensive, we shouldn't be doing them anymore. We shouldn't be saying them anymore. It's indicative
1: of the time the movie was made. They Say it just offhandedly without any commentary. It's not meant to comment on anything specific, I don't think, except that it's a quirky play on the team's name. This was a really incisive commentary on organized religion. Joe Boo and. Joe Boo. Just good old Jesus. And a commentary on contemporary social mores and the fact that the modern god is the pursuit of self-aggrandizement and capital gain. Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir! Gauntlet dropped.
0: <laughs> the guy that... Was
1: it Harris? The old pitcher? Yeah, the Chelsea Ross. Yeah. He
0: played a dick in Hoosiers as a fan of the team, not a player. I think he's in Rudy, too, so he's is one it? of those guys in a few sports movies. He's, like. one,
1: he's one of those like sports movie that guys type of uh, actor, yeah. yeah. Rubbing Vagicil on his upper pec.
0: Why was he doing that in spring training? It doesn't matter, <laughs> except he, in effect, is trying to make this team he's too. To make so the team as maybe well. when he's throwing the ball, and it doesn't matter if he gets batters out, it's all about how do you look, how's your arm, how's your legs, yeah. everything. But if he looks like he's got his ball dipping and diving, they're going to think, oh, he's the same old Eddie.
1: Put a little bit of a jalapeno up your mm-hmm. nose and then rub the snot all you over You put it. snot on the ball? Well, we don't all have your kind arm. He's obviously the bible thumper of the group, right? He's always talking about let's have a prayer, you're praying to Jobu, not Jesus. And of course Serrano's all like, "Oh, Jesus, I like him very much, but Jobu is my guy." But there's a lot of hypocrisy there. There's a lot of things that Harris does that are obviously very highly insensitive he's got to other religions. A porn
0: magazine at one point. He's reading a hustler
1: on the plane right. while he's talking about the greatness of Christianity and Jesus. Steals the liquor. He steals the liquor. You'll notice at no point is there any intervention by Jesus to assist Harris, but when he drinks the liquor, he gets immediately wanged in the head by a baseball bat upon taking the field. Does this mean we should be more sensitive towards those religions that we might not understand?
0: However, at the end, Serrano, after six months apparently of Jobu not helping him with the curveball... Fuck you, Joe Buu. I'd do it myself. Right. And then hits a massive T-run home run. Of what looks to be, I think, a fastball the guy threw. Why would we throw him a fastball at him? Why would anyone would ever throw yeah, Toronto a fastball? I think it was meant to be more of a slider from the context of the movie. A hanging slider. A maybe. hanging slider. But then but, he's not getting help from Joe Buu the whole time. And at the end, he renounces him and succeeds without him. But that completes the cycle,
1: right? Because you start thinking about the Goliath, that is Christianity, quashing the smaller religions like voodoo,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which actually wasn't portrayed as terribly in this as I was expecting. Voodoo is typically not the most sensitively handled religion in the world in most movies. I mean it's not great, but it could have been worse. But then by the end of it, the commentary of the movie is, believe in thy own self. Okay. You don't need some higher power helping you out. It doesn't matter if it's Jesus, it doesn't matter if it's Joe Boo. It's all you. Fuck you, Joe Boo, I do it myself.
0: Right? Huh? Okay, it's a subplot of the movie, not a strong part of the movie. But and
1: okay. it is there. Roger Dorn, having cast aside all religions in favor of the golden idol that is capital gain, also finds himself a shit baseball player all of a sudden. Until he casts aside all thoughts of his free agency or his post-playing career, just gets down and plays the game, and all of a sudden he has success again. Although, I thought that was a little bit fucked up, too, because you talked about Tom Berenger sitting him down and saying, if you dog another ball like that, I'll cut your fucking nutsack off, whatever the line stuff is. Stuff him
0: down your fucking throat. Yeah, yeah, He is intense in that. Tom is platoon-esque in that moment.
1: I don't love Berenger in this movie, i got to be honest. Really? Okay. Mostly. Yeah, I do. He's but... fine. He's not bad. He's just not my favorite character. Door and talks about hey, don't want to injure myself because I'm gonna be a free agent and I got plans for
0: my post playing career, which is fine as an actor. And then in that commercial, he's the worst one. That's yeah, a nice yeah, it's, touch. It's a nice touch. I will read these lines <laughs> very stiltedly.
1: <laughs> that was good. I like him. I actually like Corbin Burnson quite a lot. I'm a bit of a closet burn. Son? Son of Burton? I don't know. Whatever.
0: His credits on IMDb are immense. I didn't realize he'd made so many TV shows, whether it be one-offs or actually on the show. L.A. Yeah. Law was the thing he was best known for going into this movie. And he's the owner, I believe, in the second one. I haven't seen this Major League Two in a long time.
1: If he's dog and balls left and right to avoid being injured, do you think he's going to get a big contract at age, whatever the hell he is at this point in this movie? He's got to be in his late 30s, right? He's played as a veteran at this point, so I he's been so, around for yeah. a long time. I don't care if you're injured, but if you're out there shitting the bed on the field you're also not getting much of a free agent contract I hate to tell you
0: buddy and at the end, they say, after a slow start, he had a pretty good year in the end, and he batted third. Really? I mentioned this movie a while ago about how I could name their batting order, or at least the people we care about. I love the way this movie, very smartly written by David Ward, who wrote The Sting many years ago, yeah. one of the great screenplays of all time. Some people wouldn't agree. Bad didn't agree with that when we reviewed that a couple years ago. But most people that like The Sting think it's a great script. She doesn't this like was, the script of The Sting? She wasn't a huge fan of the movie in general. What? I don't remember if she knew the twist, and if you do, that would maybe ruin it a little bit, because that's a huge part of the appeal of that movie, the first time you see it. Maybe. So anyway, this script isn't as good as this thing by any means, but I love the way that they incorporate all the people we care about the most, including Harris. He starts the game, so he's in there. Of course, we've always got Willie Mays, Hayes, the leadoff hitter. Taylor's the number two hitter and, of course, the catcher. Then it's Dorn and Serrano. Which, incidentally,
1: makes no sense from a baseball perspective. The slowest runner's the number two hitter. The slowest runner. Like,
0: you got your fastest guy and then your slowest guy clogging up the base paths. You see that more often back around this time frame where it's the guy who maybe can bunt. Hey, the last play of the game is a bunt. Somebody who can hit behind the runner, someone who will execute the veteran. That's, I think, the reason. And also, maybe because he wanted in the end to have his main four people. It's nice that it's the seventh inning when Dorn gets a two out single and then Toronto hits that two run home run. And That's then in right. the eighth inning, nobody scores a run. And then there are two outs in the ninth inning. And a guy named Tomlinson, I guess he's the number nine hitter, who's right before Hayes, he nearly wins the game with a walk-off home run. He's about two feet away from going over the fence. And the fans barely react. (laughs) As does Doyle. He doesn't say much about anything. He almost hits the Okay, he's out. They should have been going apeshit. And then, of course, Hayes, I love the way they actually win the game with 80s Cardinal-style baseball. Infield single, Stolen base. Stolen base, bunt, and uh, ends up driving him in because he's both running on the play and then yeah. scores irrationally.
1: And, of course, it's a callback to the first game of the season where Hayes gets picked off by the same team after
0: his... who Haywood. Uh, great name. Yeah, Another good name. We've had a lot of good names in our podcast the last nine weeks of doing this. Yeah, I like the way they handled baseball generally. I thought it was portrayed pretty realistically, especially for the era. We talked about Wesley Snipes... And white man can jump, was not a natural basketball player, but it looks like he is. And then this is the same thing. He apparently couldn't throw, so you'd never see him throwing a ball.
1: Oh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, he know, has You see him run, you see him... I
0: think that's him jumping in the playoff game, stealing a home run away. I would believe it. It looked like it may have been him. Dennis Haysbert of Serrano looks like a pretty decent athlete. He sells up pretty well. You know when you watch somebody in a sports movie and the motion just looks wrong?
1: In Tin Cup, we talked about Don Johnson and Costner. They looked like their swings were good, and they're both pretty good golfers. And in this, you watch, say, a Charlie Sheen pitching. He was a legitimate. He looked great. Well, he's a good pitcher. Mm-hmm. He could have gotten a scholarship to a post secondary team if he didn't want to pursue acting. He was that good. He looked the part. And all Certainly more than
0: Tony Danza and Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, that was a little bit of a He looks like he might be throwing 50, not 80 to 90. Yeah, it's, I'm just waiting
1: for the torn rotator cuff when I'm watching him pitch there.
0: <laughs> well, Sheen actually took steroids. I was reading about that. I can't really blame him. Stallone has done it in recent years. Maybe he did way back when in his prime as Rocky. But when athletes do yeah. it, it's one thing. But when actors do it, it's a little something different. It's not such a big deal. Apparently, Sheen was up into the high 80s with his fastball, which is pretty impressive. And also, to make it look even faster, they had... I guess maybe in that last game when he's throwing the ball 97, 99, 101, I think it is, when he yeah. strikes out Haywood. Apparently he's a little bit closer to make it look like it's even faster. Oh, And they're in Milwaukee, by the way, on the real diamond. So a lot of the time, most not every game, but most of the games that they have where they're supposed to be in Cleveland, they're actually in Milwaukee. And then Bob Eucher was the Milwaukee Brewers announcer.
1: Was he really? Mm-hmm. He was so good in this. I didn't realize a lot of his stuff is ad-libbed. Just a bit outside (laughs) when the ball's four feet away from the plate. (laughs) I really enjoyed that first regular season game where he's got the enormous bottle of Jack He nearly finishes it in one game. Did you notice, though, that he takes a little bit of it and sort of like wipes it behind his ears? (laughs) Almost like dabbing on cologne before the game starts?
0: And his broadcast partner, Monty. I've got to mention this because Uh, it's in the sequel, but still one of my favorite moments. Let me set this up a little bit first. Joe Buck. If you're a baseball fan, you know that uh, name. i a football fan, for that matter. Biggest forehead in sports. <laughs> he's a good announcer. He's talented. He's also a hypocrite, and he works for Fox. I mean, maybe Fox Sports, but still. I like him okay. But my problem with him <laughs> is that he's the kind of guy, a lot of the time, where it's supposed to be visual... Yes, but you're supposed to tell us as well. A lot of people that don't have eyeballs or they're blind, whatever, are watching, well not watching, but listening (laughs) to a game.
1: Not very sensitive to the eyeless population there, right? I want to take it down a us.
0: We were talking an hour or so ago downstairs when I had shingles and I couldn't see very well, so I can relate. I remember listening to a Giants-Dodgers game and I couldn't sleep through all that, so I can relate to this whole deal, at least for a little while I could. Anyway, my point is that Joe Buck's the kind of guy where he won't say what happened. You just have to watch the play, and then the music and they go to break. In the sequel, the color guy, and this is a great joke again, where Euchre says, he's not the best color man in the business for nothing, folks, when he says nothing. But in the sequel, when they're bad again, and Harry's out of it, Monty has to take over. Somebody hits a screaming line drive. Fly ball. Great catch. Caught. (laughs) So I just want to call him Monty Buck. Because that's what Joe Buck would do, rather than a screaming line drive to left field. What a catch!
1: Of all the great Bob Euchre... Is it Euchre or is it Eurekre? Euchre. Is it Euchre? Yeah, as in the game, as in the card game. That line where, what do you think, Monty? And it's just silence, and then the comment, he's not the best colored guy in the biz for nothing, folks. <laughs> so on the money. That and the, this is brought to you by. Oh, fuck it, I can't find it. <laughs> no, Help <laughs> with it. As much as I love this movie, as an older guy now, and actually, before I talk about my overall thoughts about it, it was a little bit crushing to me to realize that. And it's not just watching Tom Berenger run the bases as the broken-down old catcher and sort of stumbling his way to first base. Much like you. Much like me. And I say that fully accepting. that it's probably the truth. I'm probably the same age as Tom Berenger is supposed to be in this movie, right? I'm 37 now, and he's supposed to be the, yeah. the beaten-up old catcher. And catchers don't usually play to 40. Unless you're Carlton Fisk. Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah. Or so those guys might play until 40, 41, 42. But mostly their knees are broken down by their mid to late 30s. Hmm. So I'm the same age as Tom Berenger, And I remember watching this movie as a kid relating to Charlie Sheen and thinking about old man Beringer and Old Man Dorn and those guys. God damn, I'm that age now. That's why we're doing this podcast. What a isn't different it? perspective. It's yeah. been almost twenty years, so All I'm makes saying sense. is I had to drink a little bit to forget about that fair, aspect fair. of things, Ryan, but Anyway, the movie as a whole, I love it. Me too. I mean, Big it, fan. It goes without saying.
0: It isn't the best baseball movie of all time, but it's one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. It's
1: so much fun, and it actually accomplishes a lot of great things. Like, the baseball scenes look good. You even know whose turn in the rotation it is. You understand mm-hmm. how the bullpens work. You understand how... And the they lineup. incorporate
0: all the stars of the movie in that last game, because, of course, Bond comes out of the bullpen at the yeah. end. So all the major players have a say in that last game, and they all do something good as well. By the way, before we go any further... I should mention it's Sunday, or now evening, afternoon, evening, and there's a lot of things going on. Lawns are being mowed, and somebody's drilling, so that's what you're probably hearing right now. I wasn't expecting the drilling. That's a new yeah. twist. Or he's sandblasting or something. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying. I found it really hard to
1: overlook the gaping plot hole in this movie, and I understand why it exists
0: but the fact that the owner wants the team to lose,
1: to tank, apparently. Which right?
0: happens now. Different reasons, not about moving a team necessarily. Yeah. But it is about trying to get a higher spot in the draft and to save money as well. Exactly, and nobody has been less successful in tanking than this team ever,
1: apparently. The thing she does to achieve that made no sense to me. If you want to tank, send some of the players that are doing well to AAA. Trade them away. The fact that she doesn't just do one of those things, but instead sabotages the plane, won't repair the... Mm. the Which the players' union would balk at big time. It's played up for gags, obviously, but it made no sense. And it was so hard to get over for me at some points when she was just, yeah, instead of firing the manager who has obviously somehow found a way to inspire this ragtag bunch to greatness, I'll, I don't know, put them on a shitty bus rather than a charter plane. It was a really weird
0: choice. Well, even before they start playing really well, they're playing about 500, and as she says, we're playing bad, but not bad enough then Her plan doesn't work, and you know, what the biggest plot hole of all was trade this whole your deal? best
1: player, then trade Dornaway, or trade who at that point, anyway, was acknowledged as their best player then. and had a good year in the end. Had he had a good obviously year in contributed,
0: the end. and then later on, trade Vaughn. trade. But Serena. here's the biggest plot hole playing off what you're talking about apparently, the original screenplay had her just faking all of this. I just wanted to inspire you, so I was pretending to be a bitch. I don't really buy that the way that they did it, and editing obviously changes things, but the way yeah. it's portrayed. No, no, she was always an asshole. I think she should have been. They made the right choice in having her be an asshole. I think so, too. But here's the problem I have with all that. She's still mad in the playoff game. Her fucking plan didn't work months ago. (laughs) Because people didn't stop coming yeah. to the ballpark. She holds a grudge, right? She holds a grudge. Why is <laughs> she still mad? I do want to move to Tampa or miami say. But that dream is over. And it's been over since June.
1: And at that point, you're making money. You're selling out seats. You're a making, big stadium. Exactly. the
0: Municipal Stadium was a big place. And of 75, we got Jacob's Field. 75,000 people. Right. Jacob's Field was even better. I've been there. It's a pretty good facility. But she was doing well. But well, she still wanted to move to Miami. That's what the whole thing. I guess, again, it's one of those, well, that's the movie. She's that character. But it doesn't make a ton of sense. But By she, the way, let me talk about, uh, hang on, I'm going to talk about some Indian stuff here while we're talking about okay. them tanking. Now, just like the Angels and Angels in the outfield, the real team, the Indians, the redacteds, they got good pretty soon after being so lousy for so long. The Angels hadn't been that bad in reality, but Cleveland had been. They've now yeah. made the playoffs, the real team, 11 times since they started getting good in 1995.
1: And they're going to make it this year, well, too. Well, I'm including that
0: one. That's the 11th time. Okay. All right. And only the Yankees, Red Sox, Braves, and Cardinals, I looked this up only about two hours ago, have been in more playoffs since 1995. So isn't that interesting that Cleveland really was a team you could say was terrible because the real team had not made the playoffs since 1954 yep. and then it was 1995, so 41 years later. But then look at that, ever since then, only four of the teams have been better. The Dodgers, I think, have made as many playoffs as the Indians have, but not more. Those no, are the four teams, the only ones it's not like except for the Yankees and Braves, maybe it's way more. So Cleveland's been a very successful team for twenty plus years.
1: Yeah, shortly after this you said like the mid nineties, right, is when that run started. But that's when they opened Jacobs Field. And prior to that, this movie was accurate, right? They were selling I remember the Indians playing the Jays in their old municipal stadium or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. And those seats were empty. Yeah. And then the they opened by the lake. Yeah, they opened Jacobs Field and what the early 90s? It might have been 94. I think it was the 94. year before they started getting good.
0: And they, or started winning, at least.
1: And then they were selling out all the time. And then they got yeah, good. they got years Albert, Bell, they sold out. Yeah, Carlos Rodriguez. Baerga,
0: Sandy Alomar, yeah. Kenny Lofton, Borderline Bart- Hall Bartolo of Famer. Bartolo yeah. when he was young and great. Kind of like this team in this movie, where you get all these, there's two or three potential all-stars in there.
1: No, well, They got really good really fast. And the irony is, where this owner wants to move the team to Miami... If we've learned anything since this movie came out, when teams expanded to Miami and Tampa Bay, is Florida sports fans do not buy baseball tickets.
0: I don't understand that. They have spring training. Although well, that's not really about going to the games so much, no. is it? Yeah,
1: I don't understand it either. I mean, you would think the weather's great. There's a huge Cuban population, particularly in yeah. Miami. Mm-hmm. And Cuba, of course, is a big baseball country. And I think
0: Miami's stadium is pretty good, isn't it? Tampa's, it's Tampa's terrible is terrible since the beginning, but I think Miami's is pretty good.
1: But they don't sell tickets. And granted, their team's been absolutely terrible for a decade The now. only time they ever really sold tickets two- was when they
0: won the World Series. Those two years, I think, is the only time. And even then, it wasn't like they set the record for attendance in the league no. or anything. Congratulations. Maybe you move the team to Miami, but it lose a boatload of cash. Just so about the weather, I guess. Well, one of the concepts of this, and it's obviously the very beginning of the movie... The showgirl inherits this team when her husband dies, so she doesn't care about baseball in the first place. A lot of movies came out around the same time with the person who either runs the team as the manager or owns the team. Little Big League is another one, Rookie of the Year, where people are in a position they shouldn't be in. And it's always comedies, or almost always comedies. And it goes with their whole ragtag thing, and they win in the end, or at least they get good in the end. But this is a person who doesn't want any of this to happen because of her own selfish reasons. Did you notice in this, and you mentioned the showgirl owner, who, I will
1: reiterate, looks great in that stand-up, life-size, cardboard cutout, Margaret Whitten, looking damn good, yeah. Looking damn good. There's a scene in this that flashed me back to Any Given Sunday, when she walks into the locker room to sort of smack-talk the team. Mm -hmm. What's the name of the actor that plays the coach? I still don't know that. He's great. And James Gammon. He's walking out naked. You want to get a towel? Ain't got no more towels. I'm, I'm too old to be diving lockers. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and it reminded me so much of Cameron Diaz walking into the football locker room to talk to the guys in any given Sunday. And to, like, similar effect, too, except I guess the enormous football players were a little bit more suave about things. All the baseball players looked a little bit
0: shaken and taken mm-hmm. aback, except for the old gruff coach and and let it all hang out and Dorn who has a pretty good body uh, certainly more so than Lou does dive into a locker yeah ah lady
1: woo I guess maybe it's because we watched Any Given Sunday so recently It's just as soon as that scene started playing itself out I flashed right back and it was an interesting comparison the two movies have such different tones Any Given Sunday is gritty and dark for all intents and purposes and this is like a lighthearted romp but in both cases you've got the female owner who has inherited the team, one from her father, one from her late husband, they both decide that they're going to put their foot down and insert themselves, and assert their authority, I should say, by walking in on guys
0: after a game who are buck naked or close to it and really make them uncomfortable. Sexual assault happens. Yeah. (laughs) And not against her, by her. Well, another sexual thing is that Vaughn sleeps with Doran's wife. That's not his choice. I didn't know who she was. I swear to God, can you explain that to me? Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but I didn't understand why
1: she did that. okay, like, well first it- of
0: all. I think what's going on here is not deliberate, but I bet David Ward may have been thinking about this. It's kind of like hazing. That's what Dorn is doing to Vaughn early on. isn't doing anything all that bad to him, but he's trying to haze the rookie. And then the revenge is, oh, fuck your wife. But he
1: didn't do it intentionally, like you said. That's exactly
0: it. Suzanne goes after him, I think, because she's maybe heard through the year, oh, this kid in the team, fucking asshole. We fought in spring training. So maybe she realizes, well, A, the guy's great looking, and she knows who he is. He's famous by this point. And B, I'm going to fuck somebody because my husband's been fucking around on me. You think that's what it was? Yeah. I mean, they talk a
1: lot about Berenger, Tom Berenger's character, anyway, sleeping around. Port Burnson, you mean.
0: Well, Berenger does, too, but we're talking about Behringer.
1: character, I mean, that's the whole thing with him and Rene Russo, who, by the way, I think I've said this during a few movies now, but I'm really getting tired of the like, quasi-romantic subplots and maybe I'm just a heartless old man at this point in my life but I couldn't care less about this romantic subplot between Russo and Behringer I it all right. this is her first movie by the way she's okay for her no she's fine her character doesn't have anything to do and it's basically Behringer chasing after her as a love-struck puppy trying to like, Mm -hmm. oh no no, I'm not an asshole anymore I swear and yeah I slept with all those women when we were together before but don't hold it against me now
0: and he's sleeping with two women in Mexico when we first meet him at the beginning of the movie
1: exactly we hear all about his philandering and the fact that one of them even filed a paternity suit against him, and blah 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 blah. But I don't remember Dorn. Did that, that come up with him as well, or is it just assumed that all ball players? Are oh, you don't are remember that it?
0: scene when they've won the last game to force the one game to play off the yeah. Yankees? They're all celebrating. I guess it's supposed to be when they're going to the airport, and she's just casually watching the TV, and you see various players in the shot, and then the background. Dorn's with a woman, gets arm around her, and they walk out a door, oh. and the implication is that he's. So there's no real proof. But it's a movie, so see. she knows and we know that he's been fucking yeah, her. Yeah, that's the scene I missed. That would have given some context to her dressing up, going out and
1: seducing Charlie Sheen mm-hmm. then. I didn't really understand what led her to do that all of a sudden. It's revenge. I
0: see. And it's smart, too, that we meet her early on in this stuff your nuts down your fucking throat scene. Would you like some tea? Right. <laughs> but she's not just out of nowhere. We already met her earlier in the film.
1: All right. Yeah, see. Did you notice,
0: by the way, that Vaughn is drinking what looks to be pop at dinner with Willie and Jake when they're just about to start the season. Now, is that conditions of probation?
1: Because the other was, two guys yeah. have,
0: I think, a beer and wine, or maybe champagne. they don't have wine. Okay, champagne. champagne yeah, yeah. And when they're toasting, it's not like Vaughn picks up a champagne glass. He's got, well, he he's got a tumbler, pop. yeah. And it's not a mixed drink like I'm drinking right now, either.
1: No, maybe it was. And yeah, So like, if that's true, that's
0: a nice touch. Not Willie mentioned.
1: Mays, Willie Mays Hayes swishing his champagne around. I didn't pick up that, but you're right. It's probably He's an ex-con, right? You can't drink on
0: probation. And he also gives his first autograph a quarter of the way into the season. They even say that at one point. Yeah. A pro baseball player, even a bad one, is going to give autographs really early on. He was unknown when the season started, granted, but probably two weeks in or even less than that, he's going to be given autographs, not months into the season. Do you think so? Yes. Cleveland doesn't have a lot of famous people. If he was a Los Angeles Dodgers ball player or a Yankee or a Met And those cities, okay, maybe he can be more incognito. Although, look at him. How can he be incognito? Yeah, it's
1: kind of hard for a guy that dresses the way he does and with that kind of haircut. But
0: Charlie Sheen's physical prime, he's great looking.
1: He's a handsome man, Mm -hmm. full of tiger blood. Uh, (laughs) I kind of chalked it up a little bit to the era of things, how quickly people would pick up on a new player, how quickly they would become celebrities in the way that it happens now. These days, if you're a sports fan and you follow the team, the second somebody makes a roster, you know... Where they played before, you know what they look like. You know everything about them. And if you wanted to get an autograph, it would be super easy. So I guess I chalked it up to that a little bit. I also chalked it up to them just playing up how blasé Cleveland as a city was supposed to be about the team at this point. They just expected everyone's going to be shit. We don't care. There's 3,000 fans at a
0: game in a 75,000-seat yeah. stadium. We've got the Browns, and that's enough. we got the Browns, they, yeah. So. Did they have the Cavs? I guess the Cavaliers existed. They're not, yeah, they're not an expansion yeah. team. They existed, but they weren't good either, so they really just had the Cleveland Browns, who were good. What? By the way, about Cleveland's attendance, you said 75,000 people. If you put 40,000 there, which is a lot of people, it would not even be close to full. And speaking of big crowds, apparently they got 20,000 extras for that playoff game, and that place is rocking. And, of course, it's editing, and it's sound effects, and it's music and everything. But it is pretty convincing. And apparently, Dennis Haysburg commented to Steve Yeager, who plays Taylor's stunt double. He does a lot of the catching. He's okay. also the third base coach, Temple. But he commented to him and he said, This is unbelievable. This is exciting. This is great. Yeah, it's like this every night. Well, of course, Yeager retired, but yeah. it had been like that every night. Although also, I think it's on The Making Of, where Sheen talks about how when he comes out of the bullpen to Wild Thing, and you see people in the outfield stands... That at that point in the night, it may have been one of the last part of it. Maybe it was 3, 4 in the morning. That was pretty much all they had left. Yeah. So they must have got the other shots early on. But when Haysbert hits the home run, Serrano hits the home run and comes and does the curtain call, when he steps out, that's not visual effects. CGI didn't exist yet, really. It was just starting to get going. There are a lot of people on those stands. So they must have had the 20,000 at that point. And for some of the other shots, too. But apparently he actually hit a home run,
1: the it, actor. It went out and went, it went out. out. That's one of the things that made the movie so realistic, is that the guys that were playing the game, the actors we were actually pretty good at it. Mm. So when he was supposed to hit a home run for a scene, he actually did it. And that Wild thing scene, and all the scenes... that. I one watched, of my
0: favorite scenes in any movie ever. It's great. I've watched it five or six times since we saw it. Well, I saw the movie by myself. We still have never watched the movie together. We will one day. One day, one day. But I saw it in the movie, I rewind it when the movie was over, and I've watched it two or three times on YouTube ever since. Including the one in the second movie, when it comes out again.
1: Yeah, this one's better. Like,
0: well, of course, because they just reprise it all over again. Yeah. I do like the girl in the booth. Cranky Jerry! <laughs> <laughs> and then the same thing happens. He pitches to the guy who owned him in the regular season. In this game, it's Haywood. In Major League Two, it's Parkman, who had been an in Indian earlier in the year. Yeah. Guys who should have taken him deep, and he strikes up both of them. First time they win the one-game playoff to get to the playoffs, and then the next year is when they win the ALCS. Parkman? Parkman in the, the second movie. Who's the Clue Haywood. Klu- Klu- Haywood. Who is Pete Vukovich, a pitcher for the Brewers who apparently never batted or at least never hit home runs. But in this game, really? he looks like he's a massive home run hitter. He does.
1: He looks the part. They mentioned he's the Triple Crown winner. I was trying to remember, who was the last guy to win the Triple Crown? Was it Miguel Gonzalez? Cabrera. Cabrera, sorry. It was Miguel Gonzalez. Jeez. It was Miggy, right? Yeah, a couple what, years ago, yeah. Yeah, okay, I thought so. And before that, probably Barry Bonds. No,
0: I think it was Carl Yastrzemski back in the 60s.
1: Bonds never won a Triple Crown?
0: Nope. Really? I don't think Bond's ever drove enough runs because he never batted with people on base. Yeah, his batting average they was walked all, him so much. always
1: massive. Well, he'd
0: get his hits and he'd get his home runs, but he didn't get that many RBIs. Huh. Plus, I don't think he led the league in home runs that often because he walked so much.
1: But he did a couple times for sure. Well, he did in a few times, years, including when he set
0: the record, obviously. Yeah, but
1: in the same year. It he... wasn't
0: like you look at Mike Schmidt or someone like that, Babe Ruth, and all their years. You go into baseball reference and all the black ink when yeah. they led the league in some category. Those two guys led the league in home runs. Over and over again. But Bonds was not that often because he didn't really bat that much. He walked so much.
1: That is one of those things that would not have stood out to me at all as a kid watching this movie. When they just offhandedly say, triple crown winner, Blue Haywood comes up to the plate. But that just struck me this time because it's so clear how hard that is to do. Particularly in the modern game and now more than ever. I mean, what do they call it? Like a three result game now? Whatever it is, a home run. Three outcome, come. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah home, home runs, run, walk, strike strikeout. Out, you know, walk, yeah, and, and that's it, right? So to hit enough home runs to win the home run title and still maintain a batting average and drive in enough runs to lead the mm-hmm. league and that is it is so damn hard. It really ups the ante when you realize that Vaughn is pitching to probably the best hitter in all of baseball, not just the Yankees
0: lineup and not just a guy that's owned Vaughn the few mm-hmm. times they faced each other. And there's guys on base, so all it takes is a hit. Yeah. driving a run now Haywood's also a bit of a goat in the end because the great closer comes in I guess they're a Rich Gossage guy basically is who that is that's the poll.
1: it's not Eckersley it's not uh, well it's a
0: Yankee player is why I say Gossage because he is now a Hall of Famer and he was their best closer probably still well no Mario, not, not no, an, a Mario Rivera is the Yankees best closer out. the best closer of any team but at that point it had been Rich Gossage Aroldis Chapman maybe these days okay I suppose so but between the two of them, there are goats. Now, it is just an infield single, a stolen base, and a bunt. It's pretty hard to blame the guy for giving up runs that way. But the Duke is the pitcher who gives up that run, that Willie scores. But when... The, also a great name. <laughs> right? The Duke. <laughs> but when Taylor bunts, and he somehow beats it out, Haywood, if you look in slow motion, he's looking at the umpire like he's going to argue. Hey, is round third! He's going to try to score! If Haywood had just paid attention and thrown the ball home and made a better throw, too, it's a terrible throw, yep. they maybe get Willie out.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't that also kind of play itself out two years ago? As a Blue Jays fan, that's how Donaldson scored the winning run.
0: But Mitch Moreland was paying attention. He just made a bad throw. Same kind of thing, though, in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. Donaldson was at second base, and Russell Martin hit, I think it was Russell Martin. It was a field of choice. They were going for double play, barely beat it out. Right. Because it was a bad throw, so they didn't have the out at first. Moreland picked it up As best he could He threw home And he made a bad throw Did he?
1: My recollection of it Was that he Turned to the umpire To see whether They turned the double
0: He didn't catch the ball Cleanly from I think it was to Elvis Andrews I don't think so I'll have to look it up May have some more corrections in two weeks or three, <laughs> a few weeks here, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It wasn't so much an argument, but it's otherwise pretty similar. The guy's a second was, base yeah. and scores on a ball in the infield. So right. I
1: flashed back to that because it was also kind of a bang-bang play, slide around mm-hmm. the catcher, even though... They, but you know,
0: Donaldson, in that case... Donaldson had a beat. Anyway. Yeah, because the catcher didn't catch it. Yeah. So it was no play at all. And by the way, Josh Donaldson, that hurts a little bit right now because we just lost him to the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to the end though, because we're not quite the end of the game, but the top of the ninth when wild things happening. Because I love that scene so much. We do hear the song twice before the finale. The too high guy. It was too high. It was too high. (laughs) They're doing too high. Look too high. (laughs) So they're doing wild thing. Those four guys also wearing what would be very racist. Wild thing. You walk everything. (laughs) And then you hear it on the jukebox when a girl comes up and clearly, Vaughn fucks her that night. Yeah, he does. Mm And then of course at the end, with that, that is such a great scene. I think my
1: second favorite scene, also a Charlie Sheen scene, is you mentioned Doran was pranking, or hazing rather, the Rook. When Doran puts the red tag in his locker at mm. spring training, and Sheen just storms into the coach's office and just gives him hell. You haven't heard the last of me. Next time I face your team, I'm going to fuck you guys up. The coach well, just stick it up your
0: fucking yeah. ass. The coach just sits there placidly. T- I like that t- kind of passion in <laughs> a player. Only problem is I didn't cut you.
1: You do a good coach from uh, Pacino, yeah.
0: <laughs> Batman. I'm noticing a theme. Lou Brown. Yeah. <laughs> my but, throat's gonna hurt tonight. Though. What no would
1: Batman as coach of the Cleveland Indians during that conversation be though? Exactly. Get out of my face before
0: I throw a around. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> okay, you bro. think you can throw hard? I can throw harder.
1: Alfred, why isn't the whirlpool working? I thought we had this fix the other day. <laughs> anyway, that's a great scene. I really enjoyed the way that Sheen plays it. It's such a fiery passion and then the immediate shame-faced puppy dog skulking out of the office and then running to tackle Dorne immediately afterwards. Mm. While Dorne literally has his pants down. He gets oh, yeah. caught with right. his pants literally down. And when they're
0: falling around and struggling with each other trying to punch each other very clearly, and there would be, stunt doubles. Oh, yeah. Sheen's especially looks nothing like him. <laughs> The hair, really, from behind. There's a six-foot-four black man. It made no sense. They did not work <laughs> for the scene. Why is Dennis right? Haysburg playing? <laughs> <laughs> He's an actor. He shouldn't be a stunt devil as well. Incidentally,
1: serrano, a delicious pepper. Great for salsa. You mean cilantro? No, that's something. Serrano. You know. Is it actually a... Pedro Serrano. Okay. The Serrano yeah. pepper. Do you want me to do a six degrees of separation between Pedro Serrano and Salsa Verde, Ryan? Because I can try to do that for you. Do it. Well, that's a lot of pressure on this spot. Oh, I thought you had it on. I that. don't have it on me okay. right now, no. All right. I was a total non sequitur that I'd see well you reacted to. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what were we talking well, about? Well, let's thought, talk I, I again. about the plot. wild thing, because okay. that
0: was an inspiration. Mitch Williams, that same year when he was with the Cubs, he was going yeah. to be a star. He'd been with the Rangers. He did okay. They traded him to the Cubs, I believe, for Rafael Palmeiro, of all things. And for a while, that was a pretty even trade, because Williams was a damn good closer for them. And then for the Phillies... And, of course, infamously gave up the two-run or three-run homer to Joe Carter in the 93 World Series. Touch 'em all, Joe! But Mitch Williams was a closer for the Cubs that year, pitched really well, and he came out to Wild Thing. And that inspired the idea that, well, Mariano Rivera came out to Enter Sandman. Trevor Hoffman came out to Hell's Bells. I don't know what other closers do, but those guys all started doing that after Mitch Williams did it first, based on this movie. No one had ever done that before in baseball.
1: That Enter Sandman entrance by uh, Soriano was always... Rivera, Rivera. Why did I think Soriano? Alfonso Soriano. Alfonso Soriano <laughs> hit the home run better than Rivera, but not such a good pitcher. One of the greatest entrance songs ever. Even better than Wild Thing. As much as I love the Wild Thing scene in this movie as an ongoing entrance song, it was great.
0: The actual 60s song, I think it's the Trogs is what their name is. Well, anyway, whoever wrote that song in the 60s, it's a good song. But the version on this, the cover, is way better. It's way cooler. It's that kind of sound. That's not really, as I recall, in the original version. still a good tune. but
1: Yeah, different era, right? Different sound.
0: And then when he actually pitches to Haywood, they don't use the second sign indicator when Haywood strikes out. Just, let me see what the kid feels about the old number one. Okay, obviously he's telling him he's going to throw it. Although he could be doing the reverse psychology thing on Haywood. But then the guy at second base could just be pointing. Okay, he is throwing the fastball, and also it's either inside or outside. Against mm-hmm. the guy who already owned Vaughn earlier in the year, it seems kind of dumb. But yeah. I guess it's all about I'm nutting up, and I'm going to strike this motherfucker out. That's exactly it, Ryan. Come on, as a softball coach yourself, you got to go with
1: your gut sometimes. And You're your
0: just, balls, and your balls, and that and tiger blood in the balls. Exactly. Nice payoff, by the way, with the Dorn and Vaughn battle the whole game, where he comes up to him and, only I have one thing to say to you, Vaughn, strike this motherfucker out. And then punches him in the postgame celebration, but it's all forgiven. Yeah. So Dorn is actually a pretty good teammate when he's told if he does anything wrong again, he's going to get his nuts cut off.
1: I kind of liked Dorn in this movie. The way they played that veteran character who's playing for the paycheck and is looking to life beyond baseball at this point. I had a little difficulty getting by the sweater at the beginning of the movie that the guy's wearing. It looked like the heaviest wool, cashmere, V-neck sweater. In spring training? Isn't it itchy? I don't understand. And why did you bring your golf clubs to the spring training barracks? Is that just like the indicator of, hey, I'm better than everybody? Yeah. I pull up in the Rolls Royce. Shorthand. I, I have a set of golf clubs for some reason. Hayes is
0: a cool car when he shows up, by the way. Park's in the wrong place. He's also the soundest sleeper of all time because when they drag his bed out in the middle of the night, yeah. he wakes up to hear them all practicing, throwing, bunting, running, all that stuff. And the sun also blazing in his head. How do you sleep through all that? But then in his jam-jams, outruns everybody. It's a nice payoff, early on payoff, for this guy being that fast that yeah. when he's not even warmed up or anything. Just outruns everyone.
1: I love the fact that they don't even let the guy sleep out the night. All right, guys. This is the, <laughs> the guy that wasn't invited to spring training. Get him out of here. Take the bed apart.
0: <laughs> And then he gets on the field immediately. There's no security there, I guess, at all. No, it's 80s spring training. You can walk on anywhere. The last thing I want to say about the game, I might say two or three other things, but the last thing I can think of right now is I love the payoff to Taylor imagining calling his shot, and then Vaughn and Hayes see him doing that, and they're pretending to applaud. And then that's paid off at the end by bunting. And when you see him do the sign to the manager, to Brown, the smile on his face, before you know what's going to happen, he's like, oh, he's going to call a shot? You're going to do this against the best relief pitcher in the game? but it's because he's just trying to psych everybody out. Nice payoff. And then when he gets dusted, he gets right back up and does it again. Yeah. And then, of course, in the end, it's, I outsmarted you. Although, really, it's not a great bunch, and if it had been a little bit harder, he would have been thrown up by 10 feet. The third baseman <laughs> was so far back. Oh, shit. But if he wasn't as far back as he was, then he throws him out easily.
1: I guess I could have done without the second called shot, but I guess it's just doubling down on the intensity mm-hmm. of the moment and the mind games that it's playing. It felt like it dragged a little bit for that moment. Mm-hmm. I did like the payoff that the Duke comes into the game and is introduced by uh, Bob Uecker saying "You uh, know, he would throw at his own kid in a Little League game, and then, of course... <laughs> a father-son game. <laughs> a father-son game, yeah. And as soon as Tom Berger calls his shot, he, of course, gets instantly dusted back, just reinforcing what a dick this guy actually is. I
0: kind of thought he looked a little bit like Mitch Williams, this actor that played the pitcher. I don't know about you. would have been inspired by Mitch Williams at that point, because Williams was the closer maybe around the time... Well, actually, probably wasn't when they made the movie... He was becoming a star in 89. They would have shot the movie in, I guess, 88. Yeah. I think it was actually the fall of '88, come to think of it, in Milwaukee. Or maybe the late summer or something like that. I think maybe they shot the movie when the Brewers were out of town, kind of thing. Or maybe it's just the fact that
1: it's a guy who's got like a five o'clock shadow and a bit of an 80s mullet okay. going. And it reminds me of
0: Mitch Williams for that reason alone. Or Eckersley as well, with yeah. the long hair. By the way, both Haywood and the Duke wouldn't be allowed to look like they do because you can't have long hair and you can't have a beard in the Yankees. <laughs> Johnny Damon, when he went to the Yankees as a free agent from the Red Sox, Johnny Damon was the caveman. He cut That's it all right. off and yeah. shaved it all off.
1: Famously lampooned by The Simpsons and Mr. Burns making Right, uh, Mattingly. Mattingly
0: shaved the sideburns I told you to trim those sideburns up to his scalp <laughs> I still like him better than Steinbrenner <laughs> before we get out of here I didn't do this at the beginning of the podcast but the Rotten Tomatoes numbers we liked the movie obviously they did too 82% of critics liked it 84% of audiences those numbers really? really did surprise me an awful lot and it was 26 at the box office that year about 50 million bucks which is 116 million dollars adjusted for inflation which is a pretty decent sized hit not huge but okay Batman was, of course, number one. The Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton Batman.
1: You said this is Russo's first movie. This is early in Sheen's career. Early in Snipes' career. Behringer would have probably been the most established actor. The Big Chill,
0: Platoon, At the other point. things, yeah.
1: So this wouldn't have been like a star vehicle, necessarily. An established actor, or a couple probably established actors. like coach... Of the Indians, whose name I've instantly forgotten. James him. Gammon. Yeah, he's one of those that guy actors that I've recognized from other roles, but obviously not a star. The same thing with the owner and a few other
0: actors that pop up through the movie. They're guys you recognize as character actors more than anything else. Well, it's Beringer's movie. He's the main player. He is the top billed actor, too.
1: Yeah, no. I've... Sheen's the
0: biggest star of all of them now, but he now. wasn't then. And Snipes is a bigger star overall than Beringer, even now, probably is because of the career he'd had, and Corbin Burnson to a degree as well. But Berenger at this point was a big-time player. He'd been great in Platoon with Charlie Sheen, where they were big rivals, and now, of course, they're buddies and really close in this movie. I kind of wondered at the end of it all what the poor bugger that Rene Russo was
1: supposed to marry did to deserve being ditched. The way, well, the... they make him
0: out to be a smarmy asshole. His friends ask Jake how much he makes within seconds of meeting him. And when he yeah. says he makes the league minimum, which was $68,000 back then, I was looking at this, apparently that's double what the average American household made or the average American person made back then. So like, he was really doing bad. fine. He did not need to room with Vaughn. Vaughn was making the league minimum too.
1: I think it's pretty common, maybe more in hockey than anything else. But you hear about it a lot in hockey anyway. I don't know about baseball. You hear about the rookies rooming with the vets... In their first year, because it helps them get acclimated. Oh, okay, yeah, that.
0: sure. That's part of the reason why. So I didn't take
1: it, it like as said, we got a room together because we're poor kind of thing. So I'm so, going to teach you. Yeah, I'm going to teach and you. And it. his
0: pitcher and catcher
1: as well. Yeah, exactly. The pitcher catcher relationship. So I don't know. I mean, 68 grand, even now, I think in Toronto, 48,000 is the median family income. For How do they household. live in
0: this city? Bev and I can't afford to buy a house, and we make a lot more than that between the two of us. Yeah, I know. So they're doing all right. And yeah, I get he's a bit
1: of a smarmy asshole, perhaps, but he's really played up that way. You don't see a lot of him. Even so, you're engaged. You have an old beau come back. And you and cheat on your fiancé. And then all of a sudden, after putting him off, putting him off, putting him off, yeah, you know what? I'm going to ditch my fiancé after all and
0: come chase you down again. Forget about the smarmy guy. Yeah. Go with the veteran. <laughs> Go with the old guy. <laughs> that sounds like Macho Man. <coughs> oh, yeah. I'm with my, the I told old you guy. my throat's going to hurt later. It hurts now.
1: Was I the only one that laughed? Berenger tails Russo twice in this movie, right? Stocker, yeah, Stocker. I was going to put it nicely, but yeah, stocks her twice. The first time he ends up at that party that you mentioned, where he's instantly accosted by the friends. How much do you make? And they're hoity-toity types. Mm-hmm. The second time is when Russo goes to his first. The first time that she goes to a game that he's playing in, and he wants to tail her from the game. My car is at the other end of the stadium. Give me a car, he says. To this the great guy car, take yeah. the bullpen card. So over the course of the drive from the stadium to her place, He kept up with her <laughs> kept up with her in the stadium cart, which was a golf cart with a big baseball on it. Yeah. So not only did he manage to keep up in traffic, she never noticed like this, <laughs> Renee Russo must be right. an awful driver. She's checking no mirrors. Why is this baseball following me? She's stunned when he walks into her apartment. It's hard to be stealthy and follow somebody in a car, period. And as you know, I'm an accomplished stalker, Ryan, but uh, maybe I shouldn't joke about that. That was a stupid yeah. thing to say. To do it in a golf cart that's shaped like a baseball
0: is mind-blowing. That's so nice one. I never thought of that. That's phrase.
1: Well, She comes around the corner, and then the stupid little golf cart comes around, and it's yeah. a big baseball. I mean, it's the dumbest little thing. I would love it even more if they played that up for laughs, and you saw Renée Russo's car along
0: the interstate freeway or something, and then shugging <laughs> behind it is the
1: golf cart baseball. It's like...
0: You're right, because other people leave at the stadium, so how does he find her in the first place? Because there's got to be at least a few dozen cars in his way, and probably really hundreds and thousands. He's a determined individual. They do leave immediately, but still, other people leave games immediately as well. Yeah. So a few more things before we get out of here. David Ward, who was a fan of the Cleveland Indians, by the way, one of the reasons why he made this movie, he wanted to see this team win, even if it was just in fantasy, and then as we said about five years later, they started winning. He also directed Major League Two, which is fun in its own way, but it does have the exact same ending again, right down to the fact that they play the same song, and Vaughn strikes out the big rival, except Vaughn had been this rich dude through the whole movie. He'd been, kind of like in Wall Street, he gets turned into this ballless corporate dude, in the end he goes back to what he was before, and Dennis Quaid, no, Randy Quaid, is on him as a fan the whole time. He wants the vile thing! Uh, that's right. <laughs>
1: you make my butt sting. And, and... Barringer
0: is the manager in the second movie, because James Gammon has a heart
1: attack! Now remind me, the second movie, they don't show them getting
0: into the playoffs. Isn't it the first round of the playoffs? I think the implication is that the White Sox beat them in the playoffs in 90... Well, the movie's set in 89, so we'll say 89. And then in 1990, I guess, although the movie was made in 94, because it is supposed to be the next year in the movie's chronology, they play the White Sox in the playoffs, then they beat them, so then they go to the World Series. And there was a Major League 3, I think. It may have been a TV movie. I never saw it. I don't know if the idea was the next year they won the World Series. I don't know. I didn't see that one. But anyway, so they get to the playoffs, then lose to the White Sox, then they beat the White Sox in the playoffs in consecutive years. Okay. Yeah, that's what I recall. Well, the movie was nominated in the sports category for the top 100 genres. Most movies we've covered, I think, have been. A lot of them at least have been, but didn't make it. There was a top 10. It wasn't on it.
1: This one is deserving of at least a nomination in yeah. that category, though. It legitimately. Maybe shouldn't have
0: been a comedies nominee, but we said two weeks ago, White Man Can't Jump. Wesley Snipes also should have been, and it was not. It one wasn't nominated for the comedies, no. only nominated for the sports. Yeah. Every time we do a movie, I'll do like I do with Babble. I'll mention all those things. Oscar wins or nominations and all that stuff. So many Oscar-winning movies that I anticipate us watching. <laughs> have we had any? Oh, well, Color of Money, of course, had Newman winning and a few other right, nominees. Yeah. Including The Sets, which we thought sets. was hilarious.
1: Yeah, okay,
0: fair enough. All right, well then, our last thoughts on the movie. I'm a big fan. It's not brilliant, but it's still fun. A lot of swearing, a lot of controversial topics, sexual assault, and the name of the team. Yeah, I mean... And the stalking.
1: (laughs) Barringer's creepy fascination with Russo aside and some of the uncomfortable language to do with the team these days, right? I mean, it's a modern hang-up on a movie that's like 30 years old now, or close to. 29. 29. It's a lot of fun. I personally could have done without so much emphasis placed on the
0: romantic subplot but the things that this movie really does focus on it does so well we've covered some good ones lately Any Given Sunday is probably the worst of the movies we've covered lately but it much like White Man Can't Jump and Major League had some of the better portrayals of sports you think, any...
1: you think that was one of the worst ones we've done lately?
0: as far as me liking the movie White Man Can't Jump loved it this movie close to loving it the one we're going to do in a few weeks, big fan of that one. Any Given Sunday isn't bad, but between all those, it's the best one. Color of Money wasn't that long ago. I like that one a lot, too.
1: I guess that's true. I think I'm still PTSD-style flashing back <laughs> to Angels in the Outfield. That well, month. that was
0: a bad movie, and Mighty Dex is a bad movie, but we had fun watching and talking about those. Yeah, no oh, fair. Any Given Sunday is better than those two, but of the recent movies. It's got a lot of great things we can talk about, but it's not necessarily the best movie.
1: No, that's fair. When you watch that movie versus watching White Man Can't Jump or watching this, Major League... Just the perception of time passing, it's incredible, the difference. When I watched the last two movies we've done, Major League and The White Man Can't Jump, it felt like the movie flew by.
0: Mm-hmm. It, and even
1: Sunday didn't feel that way, though. No, it felt like a drag. And granted, it's a long movie. It was like, what, two and a half hours? More than two and a half hours long, yeah. And it felt every second of it.
0: Yeah. So kudos to David Ward and Ron Shelton for directing the movies that are <laughs> not that short, but they feel like they are. Yeah. All right, so for all sorts of reasons, we're going to push the next episode back a week. And when we talk to you again in three weeks... We'll have our first and probably only bowling movie. Whoa. as Woody Harrelson what? Only bowling movie. That's, that's not that's be. not,
1: it's not it's, no, I don't know what one actually exists, but I'm not willing to yet say that this will be the
0: only I did say probably. Oh, okay, you couched it. So as Woody Harrelson and Randy Quaid, who I just mentioned, being a fan of the Indians, Cleveland Indians in the second major league movie. But anyway, they go on the road hustling seven ten splits in Kingpin. Three straight Woody Wesley or Woody and Wesley movies. Unintentionally, is what we've done here. Is it
1: unintentional, Ryan, or is this secretly becoming <laughs> all
0: a, funny. a wood cast? <laughs> They're funny people. You skipped over the, can you
1: score at this movie, Oh, you right, I did, didn't I? I How mean, did I forget that? I mean, from my perspective, of course you can score at this movie. You look at a sexy, half-naked Tom Berenger strapped head-to-toe in ice bags or a cardboard cutout of the actress who plays Mark Witten. Mark yeah. Witten. I mean, it's just uh, sizzling with all kinds of sexy. Just nice use stuff. your cleats and rip off somebody's skirt. <laughs> Now, I, I don't know how many times you've done that while screaming, fuck you, Joe Boo, I do it myself. Yeah. While, but you do what you kind of do. Every couple of weeks at least. Yeah, so I mean, yes, you can definitely score.
0: Yeah. Kind of a sexy movie. It's much as Tin Cup. With Brene Russo also, where she's probably even hotter than she is in this, even though she's younger here. So I guess we're done then, right? We're done. <laughs> we'll see you in three weeks. TopDriverProject.com right. online. MovieFiend 51 Chris is still not on Twitter. Still, yeah. In just shout for him in the middle of the street or something like that. And that, as they say, is that... Just a little outside. Just
1: a bit outside.